Hello, and welcome to the Breastfeeding Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ann Eglash. This podcast is co-sponsored by the Department of Family Medicine at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health, as well as the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. The Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine is an international organization of physicians dedicated to the promotion, protection, and support of breastfeeding and human lactation through education and research. Our goal for this podcast series is to help you manage clinical aspects of breastfeeding medicine. We also hope to keep you updated with current research that may impact practice management. Any advice or recommendations in this podcast do not reflect official policies or views of the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. Today we're going to discuss the late preterm or babies who are born at 35 to 37 weeks gestation. We'll discuss recommendations for care to optimize breastfeeding success in the group of babies. I have with me today Dr. Nancy White. Dr. White is a neonatologist with the Sharp Mary Birch Hospital for Women and Newborns in San Diego, California. She's the medical director of the Sharp Healthcare Lactation Services. She's also a past president and current fellow of the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine, as well as the California Chapter Breastfeeding Coordinator for the American Academy of Pediatrics. She's been active in developing a nutrition and breastfeeding toolkit for the neonatal intensive care unit through the California Perinatal Quality Care Collaborative. Hi, Nancy. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Great. Well, let's talk about the near term or what some people, I guess some people call these babies near term and some call these babies late preterms. Well, uh, actually, the official term is now late preterm. The term near term has been... uh, discouraged simply because it implies these babies are uh, full-term babies, and that's not true. These babies are very truly preterm babies and have a lot of the same problems that even more immature babies have. So let's talk about that. What are the issues that set the late preterm apart from the term infant in terms of routine post-birth care in the hospital? Well, if you look at uh, all of the singleton preterm births in the United States, about 74% are what we call late preterm. That's 34 weeks to 37 completed weeks. And these babies have very definite increased risks, and there have been several studies that quoted this. For example, the incidence of respiratory distress syndrome obviously increases as you decrease in gestational age. But beyond that, even if they don't just have, if they don't have true RDS, they have often what we call transient tachypnea of the newborn or just need for a little bit more time to clear their lung fluid. They're also at extremely higher risk for hypoglycemia because they may not have the fat stores, the brown fat and the glycogen stores in their liver. They also may not be able to feed quite as well as full-term babies, so that's another risk. But phototherapy is also uh, needed in these babies much more frequently. And with that, NICU admission and separation from mother. So they have a very high chance of having breastfeeding problems because of all of the other problems that are associated with being a late preterm baby. So do you think that babies who are late preterms in most hospitals in the country, do you think that this population tends to be treated as a term population, or do you think that most hospitals have now moved to different protocols for this population? I think it is the rare hospital that has a true late preterm protocol um, that addresses all of these issues in a preventive, coordinated manner. I think most of the hospitals are treating any baby 
certainly greater than 35 weeks um, as a full-term baby, and they're forgetting that these babies' brains are only three-quarters of the way developed. I mean, if you look at the difference between a 35- or 36-week brain and a term brain, the uh, sulci and gyri, and and, uh, if you look at it uh, through a microscope, the connections are so much more immature in a 35- or 36-week infant that you can't expect them to be able to suck, swallow, breathe, and do everything a full-term baby can, as well as a full-term baby. Unfortunately, I, I, I still see a lot of hospitals that just treat them as full-term babies. And what's the outcome in those hospitals? What happens to these babies when they are treated as full-term? Well, what happens is that they often get admitted to the NICU, which could have been prevented, and they're separated from their mothers. They often get antibiotics because they have symptoms of sepsis, which are quite general, which are either due to hypoglycemia or just poor muscle tone. They are often supplemented uh, with um, 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 formula or not just mother's own milk or donor milk, but they're often taken off of the breast and and, uh, fed formula because they can't maintain their blood sugar or they're not feeding well enough. And the biggest risk is actually readmission. Sending these babies home at 24 or 48 hours with routine follow-up, and in many places that's still pediatricians seeing babies at two weeks, not two to three days post-discharge, is just a an absolute guarantee these babies are going to be readmitted for failure to thrive, severe hyperbilirubinemia, and possibly chronicterous, uh, and perhaps other problems like seizures due to hypoglycemia. And these babies are at higher risk for chronicterous than a term baby that would have the same bilirubin level as, as a late preterm would. Is that correct? That is correct, and it's mostly because of underfeeding. Um, They're just not getting rid of the bilirubin. The stools are delayed. Actually, if you look at uh, passage of stool, it really doesn't have anything to do with with, um, uh, the size of the baby or with breast milk or formula. It has more to do with gestational age. The younger the baby, the longer it takes them to pass their first stool and subsequent stools. So all of that meconium, the bilirubin in the meconium is sitting there being uh, uh, deconjugated and reabsorbed and just contributing to uh, jaundice in the late preterm baby. Hmm. So what what do you suggest hospitals do to optimally manage these babies so that they're safe and so that we make sure that they're um, initiating breastfeeding and are successful with breastfeeding? Well, I think the very first thing is to have... um, a recognition that these are higher risk infants, that they may look like full-term babies, and many of them do. They weigh two or two and a half, three kilos, maybe more. And uh, to recognize that these babies may have special problems and to have everybody on the same page. And in order to do that, from nursing to uh, physicians, uh, physicians' assistants, nurse practitioners, we all have to have some kind of a written procedure or protocol, um, that really helps because it standardizes communication with the parents. They see what they think is a healthy term baby and don't recognize that their baby may get into trouble if um, we don't pay particular attention to latch, to uh, intake, to uh, other particular, you know, close follow-up. So I think being on the same page with a protocol always helps. Then in terms of breastfeeding, many of these babies will require supplementation. And, you know, I 
as much as I don't want to do it, many times we will have to use some formula. Luckily, in our hospital, um, we let mothers know that we do have donor milk. So if they don't can't express enough colostrum to keep the baby's blood sugar up or get the baby on the right uh, track for weight loss and weight gain, um, then we have donor milk available. And I'd hope that more units would be able to, more hospitals would be able to utilize that as a much safer way to uh, to avoid all of the problems with formula supplementation. Do you have any sense whether or not initiating uh, donor milk as opposed to formula would leads to higher breastfeeding rates for this population than if uh, parents become disappointed, for example, that they have to give formula and, uh, in, and they see this as sabotaging breastfeeding attempts? You know, I don't think there's ever been any research done as to whether a supplementation with donor milk gives you a different outcome uh, than supplementation with formula. In our hospital and in many hospitals, we recommend that we, if you're going to supplement with formula, you use uh, an elemental formula for several reasons. The main one being that it is not associated with standard formula feeding. In other words, it's a temporary measure to get this baby over the hump until mother's full milk supply comes in. So if you use something like progestamil or alimentum, it's expensive, it tastes bad, it brings the bilirubin down faster, and the parents treat it and you treat it as a temporary intervention. Same thing with the way you supplement. If you're supplementing, uh, obviously we'd want to supplement at the breast whenever we could, but if you're using a cup or a spoon or finger feeding or something like that, it's not just the usual bottle that formula-fed babies are getting, and it gives the parents the, uh, the feeling at, that this is a temporary intervention until this baby is firmly established on exclusive breastfeeding. Another key thing is to do intensive skin-to-skin right from birth. Keep the baby as close to mom as you can. Um, and I know there's a lot of disagreement. Some hospitals will make babies prove that they need NICU admission or special care admission. Other hospitals say, well, we've got to monitor this 34, 35, 36-week baby for 12 hours in the NICU or special care nursery to make sure that they're safe. Um, I prefer the former. I prefer the baby showing me, knowing that I am aware of what their risk could be. I prefer to keep beyond mothers and babies together, skin to skin, as much as possible to facilitate breastfeeding, to minimize cold stress. Um, it seems to work very, very well. Interesting. So my experience with these babies is that they're very sleepy and it's and it's a challenge to encourage parents to be very patient with how long these babies can take to feed and how how long these babies sometimes need support with uh expressed breast milk after breastfeeding to maintain their intake. And I find yep, I find the same. Mhm. And so this is something that when babies go home, even though they seem like they're breastfeeding well those first couple of days in the hospital, something that physicians should be very attuned to and recognize that they need close follow-up. Absolutely. I think our current recommendations is a follow-up at 24 to 48 hours after discharge by both the physician or other healthcare provider and by the lactation consultant if you can, either a home visit or coming back to an LC clinic. Um, to help mother transition. Then, 
if uh, the baby seems to be doing well, we usually recommend they follow up every week until the baby's at least full term and sometimes beyond that. Lactation certainly and mother-to-mother support groups can be very helpful here. Uh, needs to be able to be available to these mothers to get them uh, fully transitioned over to full exclusive breastfeeding um, without supplementation. Um, this could take to term and beyond. Uh, just like our preemie moms, we recommend these late preterm moms keep their breast pump for at least a month after the baby is full term to make sure they establish and maintain a good milk supply because these late preterm babies will not do it. They can't do it alone. Right. So what you're saying is that if the babies are, are not gaining well and they seem to be nursing fine, but in reality they're not transferring milk well, that will have a negative impact on mom's breast milk supply. Absolutely. Absolutely. We don't want moms to multiply the baby's poor muscle tone and poor uh, suck-swallow breathing with an insufficient milk supply. That is a double whammy for the poor baby and right. mom. So I guess one other thought is that it seems very standard for hospitals to keep babies who don't go to the NICU in the hospital for 48 hours. And at 48 hours, if it's a normal vaginal delivery, moms go home at 48 hours. And However, these babies would probably benefit from being in the hospital for maybe another day or two if they're not in the NICU. However, however, if mom goes home at 48 hours, the babies are sort of expected to go home at 48 hours if they can't go to the NICU. Do you have any sense about how that tends to work? Yes, it does. It's, it's a real problem because the insurance companies and uh, everybody are trying to get us to get these babies out of the hospital. And, you know, what's wrong with them? They're not, they don't have IVs. They don't, they're still eating. Um, you know, the jaundice is stable. They try to get us to send them home. And we would love to keep them longer, an, an additional couple of days to show that they at least stabilize their weight, if not gain a little bit, would be great. In addition, in addition to seeing transitional stools rather than mechanical, would be wonderful. It would be very reassuring. So what we do in those instances is, even though mom is discharged, we try to find an empty um, room, uh, postpartum room, or surgery room, um, and uh, have mom stay um, as a kind of a mother-in-residence, or uh, we call it a hotel room in our hospital. And if the baby is not ready to go home, moms can stay there at free or at minimal cost until the baby is ready to go. That often prevents uh, readmissions for hyperbilly and, and failure to thrive and dehydration. If that's not possible, um, uh, then um, uh, we do have what we call a parent living unit where we put our moms of very premature babies uh, before the babies go home, and sometimes we'll put the moms in there. But I recognize not all hospitals have that ability uh, to keep the mother as a non-patient when they're keeping the baby. Uh, but I urge every hospital to try and find some way to keep mothers and babies together if the babies have to remain in the hospital. Certainly continue kangaroo care if the baby has to be admitted to the NICU or a step-down nursery um, and uh, have mom there as much as possible. That sounds great. Anything else that you want to share uh, regarding care of the um, late preterm? Well, I just think it's it's important for us all as healthcare providers to be on the same page. This is where education of all of your staff is really important. 
um, I think either a competency or a care set or a protocol that everyone has uh, bought into, helped develop, um, and will use as their template is really important. One of the biggest complaints of all of our mothers is they're given different information from different people. And so I think if we all agree on how these babies are going to be uh, assessed and triaged, both by lactation, by nursing, by physicians, that would really help. The other thing is follow-up. Um, it does no good for me as a neonatologist to do a discharge summary with a detailed plan for nutrition if I don't also talk to the pediatrician um, that, or the family practitioner that I'm discharging this baby home to. And I think that in many instances, especially in an academic setting where you're going home to a different doctor, uh, it would be really important to have some kind of a plan laid out in conjunction with the mother, the lactation consultant, and the physician who's caring for the baby in the hospital that the mother can follow and that the following uh, physician uh, is aware of and agrees to uh, so these babies don't get switched from this formula to that formula and stop breastfeeding and all of this. Um, Follow-up is really important and consistency. There is a protocol done by the California Prairie Natal Quality Care Collaborative, otherwise known as CPQCC. For the late preterm, it's currently being um, updated, but it's on the cpqcc.org website under toolkits and quality improvement. Um, and it, it really has some very, very good uh, order sets and uh, assessment tools and uh, evidence-based recommendations for care of the late preterm infant in the hospital setting and afterwards as well. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for spending time talking to us today about the late preterm. My pleasure. And we'll talk to you later. If you have any interest in the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine or any questions or comments about this podcast, please email us at abm at b as in boy, f as in frank, med.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in a few weeks.